Hey everyone, welcome back to the Improv TX Comedy Network. If this is your first time checking out the podcast network, we appreciate it. Please head over to your favorite podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, or iTunes, and give the Improv TX Comedy Network a like. And just a reminder, the Improv TX Comedy Network is live on YouTube with all your favorite comedians on the improv stage. All links can be found in the description. And with that, on to the podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Act Out from Open Mic to the Big Stage. Comedians tell us how stories were made. Today I have a very special guest. This guest is one of the best writers in DFW, <laughs> and I sincerely mean that. Oh, thank you. Because you're always constantly working on new material. Yeah. And you go on stage, you might have your piece of paper or a pad to remind you, but you always try out new material and it's always strong. Oh, and thank I know you. you eventually want to write for late night, correct? Yes, I do. So, yeah. So that's totally awesome. Hilarious jokes, great stage presence. We got Emily Griefer on today, ladies and gentlemen. Emily, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Thank you for having me ducky absolutely this is gonna be awesome so i always begin by asking how long have you been in the game uh it'll be five years in february five so years i know feels incredibly long but i love it yeah well you're very talented for only five years in you're so sweet. You, you, you you have this stage presence that is very commanding and so <laughs> it's it's really awesome so what were you like as a kid were you the funny kid were you shy i was funny i was also a little shy because i moved around a lot so i was like always the new kid but i wanted people to like me and be my friends so i'd always try to make them laugh and i'm also like from a family of like seven kids so it's like to get the attention you kind of have to try five sisters is that right i have five sisters and a brother oh my god that's insane yeah (laughs) so you were always trying to get the attention of everyone like your sisters and trying to make them laugh and stuff yeah yeah you always just had to fight for attention yeah and you're younger too right i'm the middle Okay, so, middle, middle child. True syndrome. middle child, yeah. It's it's a real thing. I got it too. I come from a family of five and I'm the middle child. So Oh lovely. Yeah, it's in the attention seeking it's true. It you is know, very true. Obviously. <laughs> We're up here, yeah. Um so you moved around a lot. Did you find having humor helped you make friends in that case? Or? Yeah, it helped me make friends. And it also, I think, just helped me to cope because I was like moving around in the 90s and early 2000s. And I didn't have cell phones when I was a little kid. So it's like I had no way to like keep up with these friends. So I was like, oh, you know, you get kind of sad because you leave your friends. So it's like you try to like keep things light and have fun and make yeah. people laugh to try to like not think about that stuff. Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> I mean, so I'm not trying to be sad. I'm just like, it's, it's real, what man. else is a six-year-old going to do? It's very know? real. It's very real. Did you ever get bullied or anything like that and have to use your comedy chops to protect yourself? Or were you always kind of... Uh, yeah, I was, yeah, I was bullied and stuff, like the new kid thing. And then like, you know, girls aren't always the nicest all the time. And that's, you know, I don't fault people for that. They're just kids too. But yeah, I was bullied. And so, yeah, you try to be funny and nice to like, kind of like deflect the, uh, <laughs> the bullying from yeah, you. That's what I did. I got bullied all the time. Be like making them laugh. I found that they wouldn't beat me up. So. I honestly don't trust people who say they haven't been bullied. I, I, you have a valid point. Like, cause that life has been very privileged. Like, yes. You, you need to be bullied. I, I have friends who were the bully, and they'll tell me that. Like, I've never bullied. I was a bully. It's like, it shows still. I know. And also, I'm like, oh, so everyone just openly accepted you all the time? Yeah, <laughs> like, what's that like? Man, that is a privileged <laughs> life. I'll tell you what. <laughs> What was your first comedic influence? Who did you see first? Or who, did you, was it a special or late night? Or It was Jerry Seinfeld, the show Seinfeld. Um, my dad watched Seinfeld growing up all the time. And when he traveled a lot. So when he was home, we would watch Seinfeld together because he loved that show. So that was my first conscious what I can think of as a, like a direct comedian that I remember watching as a kid. 
And did you ever see his stand-up special or? No, I hadn't seen his stand-up special then when I first started it. But, you know, the show always had like the clips and stuff. And I was always like, oh, that's really cool. Like, oh, everyone's like enjoying him being there and he's laughing and they're all liking what he's saying. I was like, that seems really fun and cool. And he was very clever. Seinfeld hid his set for 20 years. I know. He the same set over and over again. For forever. And, and it's genius. And if you're not putting it out on in a video or on a special TV, it's like, you can do that. Yeah, absolutely. And he's a very good writer as far as writing evergreen material, things about his life that don't phase out super easily. It's not the most topical things, even though topical is a skill. So he can like keep that going forever. And it's like, it's smart. It's really smart because writing new material is really hard. I couldn't imagine at his level where people have a certain expectation of you and what you put out. I imagine sometimes you're like, dude, I just need to save some of this stuff because this is really hard. Yeah, his uh, special he put out in the 2000s, you know, he did a joke about burying all of his jokes. I don't know if you ever saw that. He did mm-hmm. the casket and put it in the ground. Yeah. And he did all the new material. But, I mean, do you like Larry David then? Based I that? like Larry David. I've seen some Curb Your Enthusiasm. I like his writing style a lot. And I know he tried stand-up. And he said that people hated him on stage. Yeah. He was what he called, <laughs> called a comedian's comedian. So yeah. the comedians loved him. Mm-hmm. But the audience despised him. And I don't get why. Because he's so funny. I'm like, what? what's the? hate about larry david i, I don't think, get it <laughs> I think he's so uh, abrasive is maybe you know that personality on stage i don't know how to do it, but as a writer he's amazing and as an improviser he's unbelievable were there any other comedic influences other than seinfeld besides seinfeld i would say when i started getting comedy cds like of course i got like dane cook cd even though my style is not like his or not in any all. way i love sarah silverman i love God, there's just so many. It's like kind of hard to like think of like Patrice O'Neill. So great. Oh, I loved Bill Burr. Grew up on Bill Burr. So it's like so much that it's like, it's hard to nail down. I would say you were closer to Bill Burr. Yeah. And and your style, but you have very topical and Mm -hmm. very, like you said, you can attack like a weekly, like something just happened and you'll be like, I got a series of jokes on her. I'm going to try this out. Yeah. And the fact that you're always trying out new material Mm -hmm. is amazing. I know somebody who just went to see a show with you on it the other day and they were saying how great you were. So, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, my God. They would never say it to my face. <laughs> so nice. Well, I'm glad people are saying nice things behind my back. That's so Absolutely. nice. <laughs> yeah. So what was it like the first time you went on stage? Were you afraid? Were you nervous? Did you have to get drunk? Any of those things? No, I actually don't drink before I go up. I don't feel like I... I've had like a few drinks before shows and stuff in the past, and I don't think I do my best. And I feel guilty when I do that because I want... I know people come out and spend their like time and money here, and I want them to have a good show so i'm like if i'm not doing my best that's not fair to them i think that but my first time was at backdoor comedy club and i know that's awesome everyone says that linda stogner's club over there linda stogner's club and linda is just such a great comedian amazing film director all of that and she's always so kind and accepting i couldn't give her enough credit but yeah i started there and it was like a three minute set couldn't tell you for the life of me what <laughs> jokes I said. I remember I got my first laugh at Backdoor. I remember the joke I said and hearing people laugh at it. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Yeah, I was so nervous. I ended up like having to sit down on oh, the wow. stool and I never sit down. But like, because I just was like, oh my God, I can't like deal with this. But like, I was so excited. Yes. Yeah. 
not I didn't kill. Absolutely, I wouldn't lie to you guys and say <laughs> that I killed. I didn't, but I had a lot of fun with it, so I wanted to keep doing it. So was it the catching the bug, or was it hard work after that to go up and keep trying different places? It was like I caught the bug, but then I quit for a couple weeks because I was like feeling really down about myself. And then someone I had met in comedy said like, "Oh, you need to get back up there. Like I haven't seen you around in a while." I'm like, "Oh." crap like they <laughs> they're right they're right and so then it just like became a momentum thing and it's become a part of like just a schedule now it's like i plan everything around it which is not always good but yeah. <laughs> i do yeah so it's now it's just a bug that's become a part of my life do you go out open micing a lot still i see you occasionally out uh, it kind of depends what my schedule is. I've been very fortunate enough to have the opportunity to do shows usually once or twice a week now. But yes, I'll usually do Mondays or Tuesdays, definitely Wednesdays and Thursdays, and sometimes Sundays here at the Improv. David Diaz and Kirsty Hayden host the open mic here. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it just kind of depends. But I'll still do open mics two to three nights a week, just depending when I... But if I don't have shows, then it's like four or five nights. Yeah. But you're pretty well booked, so... I try to be. Yeah, you're doing pretty good. So what was it like the first time you got that hosting gig? The first time hosting gig, uh, I was out of town. I was actually working the road in Oklahoma City, which is a bit of an odd way to start hosting because when you're hosting at a club, you are directing the whole show. You're keeping the audience in line as far as like no heckling, shouting out, any of that. You do the announcements. You get the intros for the other comics. You know, you keep it light. You don't do anything that's like too divisive or too dirty. So you have all of these aspects that you have to think of as far as like maintaining a good show to set the other performers up. But then also doing it out of town. There's so many different like cultural things as far as like what the demographics are like, what the city is like, what they relate to, their politics. So it really changes it. And it's like oh, a wow, curve. Yeah. It's like a loop to go through to like kind of like learn and adjust. So it was hard, but uh, it was at the Looney Bins and Terry and Larry who owned the OKC one, but it just shut down, unfortunately, because they've been doing it for like 35 years. They gave me my first chance and like Terry is she is the most she's the toughest cookie to crack. I think out of a lot of comedy club managers, she will not laugh and not give you a compliment <laughs> if she doesn't believe it. I respect that about her. I do. But she will not do it. And she toughened me up and was like, this is what you need to do and gave me straight advice. And I couldn't thank her more for that. I don't think a lot of people get that. And I've been very blessed for that. Did it hurt at first? Are you sensitive person where that advice kind of sunk in? Or did you go, this is a, an owner telling me what to do to fix my set? I appreciate it. I am sensitive, but I know I don't like swimming in ambiguity. So if I feel like someone is not totally happy with something and they won't tell me directly, that really frustrates me because I am also a people pleaser and I want to please people. I want to do my best. But if people aren't like straightforward with telling you that I'm kind of like, I don't know what to do. So I always appreciate when people are direct with me saying, I need you to do this, this and this. Mm -hmm. I can take direction, but if they don't, I'm like, Ugh, I I've, don't know. I've had friends give me advice and it's, it's like for two weeks after. Afterwards, I was just like, I don't even want to go up because <laughs> number one, it was good advice. But number two, I was just like, oh, that hurt. That hurt so bad. So you hosted and you were talking about kind of like the politics of hosting. You know, that's mm -hmm. got to be complicated. I never even considered that. You know, we're in a red state here, mm -hmm. but we're in a blue city. Mm -hmm. So 
how do you deal with that? Like, do you get it information before you go on stage about the area or how do you deal with that? I try to look it up. Like people don't like it's no one at the club is like really telling you like this is what this city's like. I take it upon myself to do that because I mean, it's not their responsibility to do that. But also I want to be prepared. Like I want to be prepared with who I know could probably be coming to this show. And I don't really have any material in my host set that could upset people in that way because I really don't talk about politics that much in my host set. I'll do it like in like a feature set or something. But I basically don't want to walk a table because that's money out the door. So that's what I think about. And I will do that research to try to keep myself from saying something that will walk a table and have that money go out. Have you ever walked a table before? Not that I know of. I've seen tables walked during like other people's sets, like and for whatever reason. I've had like people like just say the N word when like people are on stage. Not to me. Oh my God. Um, obviously. But, uh, <laughs> but to like other performers and stuff and have them like walk up or have them get upset about just things. It's like they're not even listening. They're like half drunk. I've seen that, but I haven't seen anyone get up and walk out during my set, but I'm also not saying the most crude things. Yeah. So it's kind of like in the middle. Do you get a lot of heckler? No, I don't because uh, when I'm not smiling, I have a, like a very disapproving face. <laughs> and that uh, <laughs> when you said I have a commanding presence, I mm -hmm. wonder sometimes I'm like, oh, are people scared of me? Because I just have this when I have a straight face and I talk directly to people and I'm not laughing. They think I'm being serious. So yeah. They really won't. But when people heckle me, I'll just say something like that's enough yeah. or like. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> because they want that. They want the recognition. But I'm like, that's just something I learned during hosting because it's like, I need to acknowledge being like, and like shut them down in a polite, kind way, being like, that's enough. Like, yeah. you need to chill. But yeah, and, but I sound like I'm mom or teacher saying that, being like, that's enough. And uh, they shut up immediately. Oh, that's <laughs> they so do good. not like that. That's hilarious. That's so good. And I also think because your jokes are so intelligent, like I said, I think maybe you said one or two crass things once in a while. But mm -hmm. for the most time, you, it's very highbrow, like comedy. And it's very thought out. So that's so funny. That, <laughs> you don't I, feel that way at all? I mean, I guess I just don't see things through that scope. I guess I don't think, oh, I want to write something really high brow these are just observations that i see that i'm like oh my gosh that's so funny that people don't recognize the nuance of this or you know kind of like i like throwing those fun little things in there because for me it keeps it entertaining and going and i'm like okay i like even if i don't love the joke i love this line so it gets me excited to say it and then when i hear other people in the crowd laughing at the line i love i'm like oh yes i, I was gonna say in some ways you're kind of like a comedian's comedian but you're good so, so, but you'll say stuff like you just said, like you'll do an in-between line. And I've worked at the comedy club long enough that like the punchline doesn't get me anymore. Mm -hmm. It'll be the in-between things, the mm -hmm. twist, or it'll be like if a comedian hits a punchline they didn't have and you can tell, yeah. that's what gets me. Sure. And so you have that way of saying something in-between that's hysterical. And then I'll be like, oh, that's really good. So, oh, well, I'm glad. Thank you. Yeah. What was it like the first time you headlined then? I think the first time I headlined was here at the world famous Addison Improv. Woo! I know. Um, it was, I was nervous. Uh, I had a good turnout, which I was happy about, but it's one of those things where you're just not in that position a lot. So it's, 
interesting to be in it and then to realize like a lot of people you know are watching you and you're like worried you know because you're like everyone else did great before me I need to you know show up and do the best and then like you know still have an understanding that you don't know all the ropes of headlining so you're learning in the moment too so it's discombobulating I will say that you are on your toes and you are not always feeling yourself in those scenarios so it's uh it's interesting but I had a good time with it it's just the learning aspect is a very like especially present thing check drop right that's check drop yes check drop is there a certain way that you deal with that i always like to ask that because it's it seems complicated no i will try to then in check drop i'll try to do like kind of a little bit of more conversational like kind of dip into crowd work a little bit i see a lot of headliners just make the joke about like oh now everyone's trying to do math like you know that type of thing and it's like i get all of it or i'll take the moment to be like oh you guys just got your checks like you know give it up for the wait staff like please tip them an extra dollar they work so hard for you guys to have a fun night because i mean honestly that's why we're here is because this is a business and these people won't be working this club if they're not making money. So I like to remind them, like, hey, we're here because they need to make money. And so you need to tip them more. Yes. And saying it as a staff member who served for many years, we appreciate it. So thank you. Because yeah. whenever somebody says throw a couple extra dollars on there, you're just like, yes, because it's going to happen. It's going to happen. The comedian yeah. has control of the room at that time. Mm-hmm. They're, they've got their magic skills and they can tell people what to do. It's great. What's the weirdest thing you ever saw on stage? Mm-hmm. The weirdest thing that I've seen on stage I've seen audience members just rush the, rush the stage and not like in a violent way, but just like in a way where they like want to come up and like say something they think they're special. During your set that happened? Not during my set. It was like right after my set, the person who came up after me. During my set, people don't really do a whole lot. I just have men who will like hit on me and heckle me at the same time. During your set? Yeah, they'll be like, I've had men whistle when I get on stage. Like when they see me, it's like the dog whistle. Like the, <laughs> I can't, the I can't whistle, so I can't do it. Uh, but they'll do that or they'll just like, comment to be like oh you're pretty you're beautiful or whatever and it's like when they say it it's a bit awkward because the whole crowd is kind of like "Mm, what if what is the point like what are we doing here now like we all heard it and then so like when they say things like that I'm like yeah I'm pretty but like I have a bad personality (laughs) and like then it's kind of like hey let's bring it back to what I'm saying not about what I look like or what anyone looks like because that's like not a great thing to you know have when you're getting on stage but nothing too bad people are usually pretty uh behaved when i'm on stage i did have a one time a guy say when i was doing my set i don't have any jokes about really politics in my host side really don't i don't have anything about race i don't have anything about like economic disparity of people or whatnot in that sense i had a guy i was doing some set totally unrelated to this he just goes uh redlining is murder redlining what's redlining it's like from, uh, I believe, like the 60s and 70s, like banks wouldn't give oh, out houses to black home folks. loans yeah. within certain uh, areas. And I uh, just looked at this man. He was, it was, he was drunk. It was a late night show. I don't know where he was coming from with this, but I just said, uh, hey, dude, I agree, uh, but we're at a comedy show. I'm not writing legislation. <laughs> like, I can't do anything about this. Like, right. this is the wrong time to bring this up. Please go vote on this. Like, don't, like, <laughs> I can't do anything for you. I'm sorry. Yeah. 
Well, you talked political then a little bit, you said, in your feature set. Is that something that's important to you, or is it just something that came along? It's something that's come along. I do have some ideas that I say them because they're real to me and they affect me. And it really means something to me that, like, if I have been making you laugh all night and you're enjoying yourself and have a good time, I don't say these things to make a point. I say these things that... Now you're confronted with the person that you like and you're laughing with and they're telling you something very real about them and you have to accept it and you have to accept that this is a perspective that exists in the world in that you can like someone for who they are and not agree, but still accept that that's part of how they live or what they've experienced. So I make a point to have some of that in my set because that's real and that is a part of who I am. But I don't make a point to be like, I'm right, you're wrong. Like that, I don't like when people do that. I don't find it fun. I'm like, now people are just like feeling like they're getting a lecture. Yeah. It's just more of like, I say these things because you really have to understand who I am. And some people really love it. And then some people are like, I don't like when people talk about those things on stage. And it's usually like sexist things. Like, I don't like when women talk about that. And I'm like, well, you probably just don't like when women talk. So (laughs) that's probably it. It's probably the truth, too. That's fine. (laughs) It's so sad. I was going to say, you brought up the fact that you got on stage and the guy whistled at you. Mm -hmm. Do you ever talk about the fact that you are attractive on stage? Do you have like an opener for that or anything like that? No, I don't. Because I wasn't growing up. I wasn't ever like people never like told me I was like cute or pretty or anything like that so it's not something that ever like plays into the effect when I think about how people treat me or talk to me I only become aware of it in my like 20s and 30s but now um no I don't really talk about it because it's like it's some kind of weird way it sounds like a brag (laughs) and I'm like I'm not trying to brag like that it's like I understand the scope of which people see me but it's not funny or entertaining to me so I don't write about it I don't think about it so I don't write about it I, this is I'm super excited to talk about this. What is your writing process like? So uh, I have a group of comics that I write with. I write separately, but I also write with a group. I write with Arun Rama, Pungdang, Sri Raj, David Diaz. Uh, oh, wow. And I'll write with other people randomly, but that's usually the core group which I write with. And I love it because we're all very different backgrounds. They're male, they're different races. It's all of this stuff that really helps round out a perspective, but will bring ideas to the group of a premise. I took a comedy class from Sarah Tolmache, Joe List's wife. She's also a great comedian. She held one during the pandemic and she gave great tips for joke writing because I definitely don't think I know everything. So I try to learn from other people. She said, like, flip the scenario, expand the definition related to a pop culture moment. And trying to think what was the last one. I can't for the life of me think of it. But regardless, like, I take those and I try to be conscious of it and bring it to the forefront. And then we write out the ideas kind of being like, oh, you could take in that direction, this direction, that direction. And then when I'm alone, I will kind of, like, write out the uh, comedy Bible. They have a process Mm -hmm. where it's, like, hard, scary, stupid, weird. And you have an idea like this is hard because and you write 10 reasons why something's hard or 10 reasons why something's stupid. And to me, it helps expand and create a deeper, more unique perspective that you just can't do in the moment when you're on stage writing. Because I do write on stage, too, but it's not as deep of a thought out perspective. So I try to sit down and do that because it's helpful. And then 
it always surprises me what people laugh at and don't laugh at and like and don't like. And so when I'm listening back on the recordings, then I'll kind of like go more into that avenue when I find the things that people are consistently laughing at. So in a way, I shape the jokes, but in a way, they shape the jokes. So it's just it's a very collaborative, interesting process. Do you find it hard to listen back to yourself? Yeah, I hate my voice. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I I do it, but I don't like it. But I've just developed a thick enough skin now where when I'm listening to myself, I'm like, Emily, just get the over yourself. Get. Yeah. I just was filtering myself from cussing now because <laughs> I'm trying to keep it PG. But I tell myself, I'm like, get over it. Like, you got to listen to it because you're not going to get better if you don't. So that's like kind of what I have to tell myself. But yeah. I, yes, I hate my voice. It's, I hate yeah, that. I I I always felt that way too. And then when I started podcasting, like because I have a high pitched voice and you know I have a lisp and all those things, and and so I I hated my voice at first. But then I was like, no, nah, it's fine. Like I got used to it. You know, after time. I don't so. think your voice is high pitched at all. Oh, that's it so is. funny. It, I get called a woman on the phone all the time. Oh, it's really? Like, oh yeah. I'm like, oh, that's fine. I have <laughs> They're like, yes, ma'am. Like, and you're like, oh. I'm gonna cut this out. I, my doctor asked me if I was trans. Yeah. What? Yeah. Why are you cutting this out? <laughs> I mean, I'll keep it in. You my, should write a bit about that. Yes. My doctor, she called me and she goes, I have a question for you. I was like, what's up? She goes, are you trans? I was like, uh, no. She goes, so you were born a biological male. I was like, yeah. So you're not trans at all. I was like, no. She goes, well, your testosterone levels are so low. We thought you were trans. I was like, oh, okay. Oh, my god. It's hysterical because my girlfriend is trans. Oh, so, wow. So, so I couldn't wait to tell her. Like, I immediately ran home. I was like, yay. <laughs> like, oh, my hysterical. gosh. You're like, babe, guess yeah, what? Guess what? You'll never <laughs> I was asked today. Hey, everyone. It's just stuck jumping in to say thank you so much for checking out the podcast today. If you dig it, please head over to our website at improvtx.com, where you can check out our calendar for all the upcoming shows in Addison, Arlington, Houston, and San Antonio. And don't forget to follow our social media, all links in the description. And with that, back to the podcast. I was going to ask your personality on stage. How mm -hmm. long did that take to find? I honestly don't think about my personality. I think I've always had this. People said that they felt like they've seen who I am on and off stage as the same person pretty early on. So I think it became almost immediately. I just don't know how to create a persona. I really don't. Like, I admire comics who can, who can create this great boisterous or loud or... I don't know, just a different type of persona than who they are off stage to like really draw on a crowd. I appreciate that. I don't know how to do that. So I guess it's always kind of been this way. And that's not a brag or anything. It's just me lacking the knowledge of knowing how to do it. So I guess it's always been this way. I don't know. I would say, yeah, because when I first met you, David Diaz introduced me to you when you were actually sitting over there. And you just kind of like your personality felt the same. Like you just were kind of like very... <laughs> genuine you know very I mean? unimpressed yeah, no you were super nice you were like you're like it's very nice to meet you i was like right on um and david's awesome so shout out to you david where do you see yourself in the next five years i know you said you want to write for late night is that correct yes my boyfriend and i are planning on moving to new york within the next five years i need to actually get practice writing packets i've written very minimally on that and i know i have to just get comfortable with writing a packet but yeah so i would just continue in the next five years to still work in the clubs and, you know, trying to write late night and trying to write more topical and really take advantage of all the opportunities that people very generously give me here. But I will make that jump and move to New York within like five years. What's a packet? Like you just prepare like your writing? So a packet, when you are submitting for late night to get on one of their writer's teams, there's like monologue jokes, there are desk bits, 
There are like actual full scenes that you can like direct and script and you submit that to them and they get like a sample of your writing style. And it's basically you have to present to them that you can write in the host's voice because that is what gets you put on late night is because you have to be able to understand the perspective of the host, their style, what they like and don't like and submit that work because they're the ones saying it on stage. And so people have to believe that's from them. So you have to teach yourself to write in that voice. Oh, wow, that's cool. That's got to be really challenging. It's very challenging, but I actually do write for a lot of comics here in DFW. So I get a lot of practice writing in other perspectives and things that like, and when I see my jokes work on stage that I've written, that people believe and they laugh at that, it makes me feel good and like happy because I'm like, oh, okay, I can learn to do this for late night. Because I'm doing this for my friends and people right. believe the things that they're saying on stage, even though it came from me. Oh, that's so, so cool. It's yeah. cool. Yeah, it's a weird like outer body experience of being like, oh, this does translate to other people's lives and experiences and that audiences can believe that they think that. So, yeah, that is a skill. Where did that idea to write for late night come from? Um, I love like the strategic joke writing of late night. I like the concise. I like the twist, the misdirection that a lot of late night has. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I feel like I would really be able to let my comedic personality and style shine. And I just always love that collaborative effort of like a room and like really like seeing it work on stage and like seeing things on late night. And you're like, oh, yes, yeah. like. It's just something I've always wanted. I don't know where it came from in my mind, but I, I love it. Who was your late night host? Who, was, who did you watch? I watched a lot of Jay Leno growing up. And then I've watched David Letterman and Larry King. And now it's like, you know, Jimmy Fallon and Kimmel. And I haven't watched a lot of James Corden. I would love to see like a woman get a late night <laughs> show. Maybe you're I would the love first. that. That would be nice. Oh, yeah, that would be awesome. That, that would, would be sick. I'd love to see that, but I just it's not something that I've experienced. But I think that'd be very cool. Yeah, I saw that Wanda Sykes was in for Cool Bear the other day, and I was like, oh, I'd like to I watch that. I hope so. She's yeah. amazing. She's amazing. Yeah. So I was like, that would be really cool to watch. Do you have any advice for up and coming comedians, people who just started out like myself? Uh, uh, anything that that could help us out? I would say know that everyone in the room uh, doesn't care what you're saying on stage. And I don't mean that in a harsh way. I mean, like, when it's, like, especially open mics and you're starting, like, everyone is so in their own heads. Every single person is thinking about themselves and their set. They're not thinking about you. So there is a freedom to know that, like, you can go out there and just say these jokes and try to work on them. And then right after you get off stage, someone else is already on stage. So people aren't really thinking about it. You're not stewing over it. It's like you don't have to sit in the, you know, like, I'm a self-conscious person. I think most comics are. But, like, you don't have to sit in it and worry and be like, everyone's watching me. It's like, they are, but they're not. So it's like, it's a freedom in knowing that like, you can kind of move through this and find yourself. And the stakes aren't super high when you're open micing. It's great to do well, because then people will put you on shows and whatnot. That's what I would say is like, give yourself the freedom to like, not be so worried about everyone in the room and just say what you want to say, because that's really important. And I will say, do what feels good to you. Not like what I think you should do or what other people think you should do, any of that. Do what feels good to you because we're not on stage with you. It's just you. And if you're not having fun and enjoying it and liking what you're doing, then it's kind of like not worth doing because it's like if people are saying you need to talk about this thing or you need to talk about this topic or people don't relate to that, you need to stop doing that. It's like, well, th now you're not really enjoying it because you're just like filtering what everyone's telling you should do and you're not doing what you want to do. So just always do what feels good to you. Is there something like a philosophy that you hope to get through 
to people through your comedy or is it you just want to make people laugh i just want to make people laugh and i uh i just want people to see because i still get this constantly all the time where i'll show up to a gig and people don't know that i'm on it and not that like i need recognition but they will be like oh is your boyfriend on the show tonight oh okay who are you here with well and i was like well it's like i'm here with me but like i want people to just get used to seeing women on stage and just like knowing like this is just a part of it. Like, yes, we're here and we're saying things that are funny and that like our perspective is a real one, even if you haven't experienced it, I would say. How do you deal with that sexism whenever you're, you know, and somebody comes at you that way? I don't get angry or frustrated or anything because I know they don't come with bad intentions. I get irritated when other comics treat me that way, because if I'm on the show with you, you know, I'm on the show with you. And then Or if you're just, like, you know, trying to, like, elbows out, like, be, like, a big man. I don't know. I'm just kind (laughs) of like, all right, well, you're just acting like, you know, a POS. Like, I don't – I just kind of, like, brush it off. But mentally I make a note being like, oh, okay, like, this is maybe someone I wouldn't want to work with in the future. And I wouldn't consider working with them because if they treat me this way, they're definitely going to treat other women this way. And how are they going to treat their audience, too? How they treat their yeah. audience, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, something Dean teaches that I thought was great was, you know, he was in control of the uh, comedy club. And I didn't know, and I'd been working comedy club for years, and he said the women. He said, because if the women are having a good time, no one's going to have a good time. Oh, yeah, so, especially the audience. Yeah. If a man is here on with a date, and his date hates what's going on, or thinks the comic is an absolute jerk, whatever, that table's not going to tip well. And they may not come back to another show. Like, you really have to make sure the women are having fun and enjoying themselves. So It's huge. It's huge. And I I thought that was some of the best advice I ever heard. I was like, wow. Um, Mm -hmm. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Um, I really, I kind of, like, don't know. I'm a pretty reserved person, Mm -hmm. naturally. But anyone who hasn't, like, come out to a comedy show, like, come out to the improvs. Like, what I really like is that the improvs always give a lot of local talent the opportunity to like work out in front of like their audiences and really get to like shine and like show people like, Hey, there's so much diversity with coming into this scene that like it draws people in. And I really like people who haven't come out to comedy shows. I don't think understand how diverse and talented the DFW scene is. I think that we have something really good going on right Mm -hmm. now in this scene. And uh, you were talking about kind of the people that you write with. Uh, Those are the people that you started with, I take it? Yes. So Arun Rama started in D.C. about two years before he moved to Dallas. And so I met him when I started. He actually saw my first set, which is, I'm like, oh, cringe. (laughs) Um, Yeah, David started, I think, a little bit before me, but around the same time. Pung started in Atlanta um, around the same time Arun did. Shri started, I believe, two years after I started. And yeah, I'm trying to think. I'm like, yeah, like all pretty much around the same time. And then I've written with other people who, you know, like Paul Varghese and like other people like that. I've been doing it way longer, but it's like such a compliment when people, Mm -hmm. you know, take the time to sit and write with you and like really like recognize like, oh, okay, this person like has something here. So I kind of write with people of all skill levels and I've written with people who are much newer than me in the comedy game. I will say I don't particularly love writing with male comics who are newer, only in the Edge sense... Lords. It's not. <laughs> it's not always that. It's just there's this thing where they want to, like, tell you how they think you should be writing. And I'm like, 
you guys just don't understand. I, we don't have the same perspective. Like, mm. don't tell me what I should be doing. And then I'm like, okay, I'll just, I won't write with you again. If yeah. you're like coming out that way, because now you are telling me how to sound like you and you don't know who you are. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm good. <laughs> I mean, and the other thing is you're respected within the DFW community. You know, you're a seasoned vet. That's the way you're, I mean, that is the way the perspective is. And like with your group, I think you guys need a nickname, like the breakfast club or something. Something. Like that. Yeah. yeah. The outlaws. The bandits, Yeah. The outlaws uh, is even better. That would be awesome. I know the H1 visa. Well, Cause they had China. the outlaws of comedy in Texas for a long time. They Mom did. Was part of it. But yeah, y'all yeah, need a, a nickname so, like, whenever you, you finally get out there, like, you know, like, as part of this group. It makes me laugh that you say I'm respected, not because I don't believe that there isn't respect for me, but I have a reputation for being a brutal roaster. <laughs> and so people are, like, people will come up to me, our peers will come up to me and say the most foul, rude things, thinking they're roasting me. And I'm like, we're not on stage right now. You're just saying something mean to me. <laughs> like, I'm kind of like, do you respect me? Like, I appreciate you saying your true thoughts to my face. But like, I think people also are intimidated by that, especially guys, because it's like, oh, a woman saying like something really harsh and mean to my face. Like, oh, no, mommy, like, don't do that. <laughs> like, I feel like it's a mix of respect, but also kind of like hesitation because mm. they know I just have that like knife in my back pocket that I can just like pull out. <laughs> and it doesn't like come from a place of like harshness but i'm like if you approach me with that energy like that's what you're gonna get yeah. oh i do want to talk about roasting have you, you you've done, done, done some roast right yes i love it not because i genuinely don't like being mean to people i like roasting in writing because i can tell the other comics what i assume from them by even not knowing them that well and what the audience will connect with by me saying these things because then it's like gives you more of a rounded perspective of how people view you and what you can make off those inferences and kind of like write about. That's why I do them mostly is because when people write about me in the audiences, like I see what they laugh at and what they don't laugh at. I'm like, oh, that's what they think I am. I can either lean into that in the future or I can write a bit that counteracts that because I know like these are repeating themes that people bring up. So this is something that they would assume and I can write something that surprises them and it's like a twist. And also I like it because I do a lot of research when I roast. I watch your sets. I comb through your social media. <laughs> like You're coming with daggers then. <laughs> I do, but it's also like this is like how I'm like showing love and appreciation to you because I'm writing things that are so personalized and curtailed to you that I've had comic, like more than one comic ask me, can I use this in my set? Oh, cool. And I'm like, oh, yeah, like that. Absolutely. I wrote them for you. I'm not going to be like, oh, so do you know about this comic <laughs> named Todd Birdwell? <laughs> like, yeah. I'm not I'm not doing that in my set. I'm like, yeah, like I tell people, I'm like, take it. I wrote this for you. Like, it's almost like a love letter in some ways because I'm like, I wrote this for you. This is for you. You keep it and you do what you want with it. And I've seen people use them and they love it. And it's like to see that is really cool. It's, it comes back to that seeing my jokes work with other people. And it's like, oh, that's so much fun. Oh, but awesome. the meanness, I don't I don't like that. Like, yeah. I don't like the mean aspect of it because I don't want people to think that I really think that about them because I usually don't, you know, because it's like if I'm working with you and writing with you, I like and respect you on some level. Yeah. So, and so it's a performance thing, more or less. It's a you. performance thing. And it's just like it's a writing exercise. And it's me showing off how to write. Like how I like writing, what I, how I like to present jokes in my style. So it's not about being mean. It's just presenting those things that, and I think that's the fun part of it, but. 
yeah. Do you, I mean, do you view it as an art form? I or view, are you just telling jokes? Oh, no. I view all the writing for, you know, topical roasts, my set, all of it I view as an art form. But I take a lot of fun in it because I'm like, it's so inconsequential that you can really be free. Like, and that's what I like about the roasts. But is it what I want to do long term? Uh, not particularly. But I do enjoy those aspects of it. I went down to Austin to do a roast and one of the people who runs and works those roast shows at the comedy store was judging and he was like your jokes are brilliant yeah and i was like oh my god oh my god that was brilliant i'm like i told you all like no but i was just like oh thank you so much so it's like nice to be like oh wow like there are people who would appreciate this on some level well i think you're on the right path i think that you're definitely going to make it i think you're going to be a writer for late night and then from there who knows i hope but i hope within the next 10 years you're huge fingers crossed i hope so too well we got to promote the show it's going to be wednesday march 1st at 7 30 it's going to be you and a bunch of other comedians on the show kalana spiller who's oh, absolutely awesome. hilarious arun rama pete young who i absolutely adore pete i think he's one of the most one of the funniest smartest writers yes in dfw and i think tony compion's on it who's great there's so many I'm trying to think of everyone Paulo who's Sparrow. on it. Paulos, yes, Paulos. Oh my gosh, I was like, how could I forget? Like, <laughs> yeah, there's so many great comics on there who I really love and enjoy. So if you guys come out, like, we'd really appreciate it. There you go. So Emily, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you, Ducky. Thank, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. And with that said, support local comedy in any way, shape, or form that you can. And we will see you on the next one. Awesome. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> and there it is. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. If you enjoyed it, please head over to ImprovTX.com to check out all our upcoming shows at the Addison, Arlington, Houston, and San Antonio clubs. If you like this podcast, you might enjoy the other podcasts on the ImprovTX Comedy Network. We have The Act Out. From open mics to the big stage, comedians tell us the story they've made, where I talk to comedians from all over and chat about their journey this far. Also, check out the Black Dog Retro Arcade podcast. Straight from the arcade, we talk about how our favorite games were made. That's right, we're talking all that video game goodness. And finally, we have Quackin' Up, a storytelling podcast where we pick suggestions from a hat and tell stories based upon them. Once again, thank you so much for listening. Please check out our social media, all links in the description. And with that, we'll see you on the next one.